Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Good morning, everybody. There is not important caravan news. There is not important news about Better O'Rourke funding the caravan. There is not important Hillary Clinton email and Anthony Weiner news. There is not important virus news. All of those pieces of news were only news in the run-ups to their respective elections. But there is news about recounts, the Florida recount. There is news about what is happening in political reform. There is also news about the fight for who will be the next Speaker of the House. But I also want to say this. She came to Oregon in a hippie van. She stayed to raise a child. My brother Jonathan helped raise a bunch of others, including me. She was an advocate for countless more as a social worker, activist, and leader. She chaired the Democratic Party of Oregon through perhaps its greatest period of growth. And for many of us, Meredith Wood Smith offered an alternative and better model of leadership. From foster kids to friends finding their way to far-flung political party activists, she made all of us feel valued. In a fractured and fractious world, she made it clear that we belong. And two weeks ago, after a three-year battle with cancer, she passed. She was surrounded by family, and in the end, it came quickly. Wanting to dedicate my participation in this show today to her memory and to every hippie activist who has kept working to make the world a little more just, a little more welcoming. If you track the rise and passing of the hippie movement with the beginning and end of the Vietnam War, people can have a different definition of the era. And if the sweet spot age of hippies was 15 to 25 years old, that would tell us that the youngest hippies are in their late 50s, in their early 60s, the oldest are in their 80s. Meredith was smack dab in the middle. It informed her early life. While media may have pretended the radicals went away, they didn't all become yuppies or stop caring. Some of them are you good people. The media may have shifted its focus in the disco era to the rise of financial power, but we see you. You are the coalition of the benevolently irrational, the good people doing good things for no good reason, and you are priceless. Definition of priceless, worth a lot, not for sale. Today, good people, we continue the discussion of democracy. 
My name is Jefferson Smith, sitting in for Tom Hartman on The Tom Hartman Show. In an election that we must view not only as a battle for a blue wave for Democrats, but as a mark in time over the battle for democracy. And we'll talk about that. That means the media, including the rule and role and regulations regarding, if any, of social media. And we will talk to Sarah Miller from Freedom from Facebook. And I'm just grateful to be with you. Some of the items that we will discuss today will be your phone calls. Some of the big stuff that we are dealing with today, I should say something about the Florida recount. This is a lesson that in addition to focusing on policy, in addition to focusing on campaigns, on fundraising, on door knocking, that just the mechanisms, to me, there were two big stories. There are two big stories about this election and really only two really big ones. And I even had this feeling election night as returns were coming in. One big story was blue wave, 30 plus seats, seven to nine point win for Democrats, as big a percentage win as any of the big Republican wins. The second story is the systems of democracy is the subversion of democracy, is the districts that have been drawn, the money that has been allowed to be raised and the manner by which it is allowed to be raised, the way that votes are cast and the way that votes aren't cast, the lines that people have to wait in for no good reason, the people who are thrown off of the ballot, thrown off of the voter rolls for no good reason. And that those are the two stories, blue wave and the subversion of democracy. And we will talk about both. For all of the critics who have been saying, no, no, no blue wave, the Democrats didn't pick up as many seats as the Tea Party wave. That is not a story of popular will. The percentage victories each time, very similar, both times cascading resistance to the current status quo. Here, cascading results for Democrats running for Congress. The difference between 60 seats and 30 plus seats is the drawing of the districts. The difference in it maybe not being 10 or 11 points is thousands and hundreds of thousands of human beings being thrown off voter rolls. And this has to be a fight for more than a political party. It has to be a fight not just for Democrats, not mainly for Democrats or Republicans, but for democracy. The allegory of the genie lamp that was rubbed, but the wish was not merely for a policy result. The wish was for more wishes. When power was garnered, power was not used by the Republican Party merely to provide some tax cuts or to limit a woman's right to choose, or to make it easier to eviscerate the environment. The wish was cast for more wishes. The ability for unfettered secret money to be raised. The ability to throw people off the voter rolls. The ability to not abide by critical elements of the Voting Rights Act. Because the Republican Supreme Court said that racism wasn't a thing anymore. The capturing of democratic processes 
small d, to limit big D Democratic victories, to fight against democracy in order to fight against Democrats. And that as we evaluate this election, and as we think about what are the big next steps, not only in Congress, where Democrats won't have a major chance at the U.S. Senate for a while now, and won't have a chance at the presidency for a while now, policy results that can happen at the local level and at the state level, should they be focused on whatever issue is most important to you? Or should they be focused on the issue that might have to happen first in order to get to your issue? We have to focus not only on what a Democrat might do, but to focus on democracy. Do we need to wish for more wishes? You're listening to Tom Hartman. The progressive family, the big D Democratic family, has to have a conversation. In the wake of the blue wave, who should be the golden surfer? Should Democrats replace Nancy Pelosi as party leader and therefore have a different Speaker of the House? Should progressives want a new leader? Should new suburban Democrats demand a different face of the highest levels of big D Democratic power in the country? There are powerful arguments to keep her. One could even say it's absurd to think about not. She is perhaps the most important player other than the president of the United States formerly that made Obamacare a thing. She is an accomplished lawmaker. She has been a leading fundraiser. One could argue strongly that a signal of weakness should not be transmitted, that Republican critiques, that Fox News critiques of Nancy Pelosi should not make the decision for big D Democratic lawmakers. You could also argue she knows what she's doing. Who else is she going to get? What, who's this other standard bearer? Who's the silver surfer? One could also argue that this wouldn't be happening. There would not be the same call for change if it were a man. To me, it is an example of the misogynist media that misogyny is not a more clearly understood element in the 2016 election. And if we think that the critiques of Nancy Pelosi are unrelated to sex and gender, then we, too, are blinded by patriarchy. Those are powerful arguments. Some might say unassailable. Other people, some could say reasonable people, some could even say smart and well-meaning people, might say, ah, but we need a signal of change. Might not be her fault. But she is now a lightning rod. Not fair, not fair to Hillary Clinton. But because of conservative movement, communications, apparatus, advantage, because she has been able to be tarnished so that she is the first line and last line in an ad to try to make it hard for Democrats to win a congressional seat, that it is time for change, that the strategy perhaps is guerrilla, to have heroes who are not elected and rotate leaders while Fox News has to change their attention on who they are going to taint. Denise, you had a thought about Nancy Pelosi, you are from Calumet, Michigan. Go ahead. Hi, Jefferson. 
Yes, I think that we need to keep Nancy Pelosi because she knows where the dead bodies are. She's the one that's got the guts to do something, and the inexperience of somebody new is just going to help Paul Ryan, or, yeah, the Ryan swan song is to get rid of Social Security and Medicare. And he's still there till January. I, I, I just think we need, I just want to call out to the aggregators right now, the bots that, that create transcripts of shows like this. I want a Breitbart headline that says, Democrats say, vote for Pelosi. She knows where the dead bodies are. But <laughs> go ahead. I didn't mean to cut you off. That's okay. I, you know, they have to, they, they, the Democrats that are in, in power now coming up in January, they not only have to keep their eye on Social Security and Medicare and all of the social programs, but they also have to do something about Trump and get rid of all this corrupt stuff that's going on in Washington, which I know they plan to do. So they have to do both. They have to look out for the people and look out for democracy, and it's a big job. Thank you so and much, Nancy Denise. Nancy Pelosi has to be the one at the helm right now. Thank you so much for listening, and thanks for calling in. Reza in Philadelphia about Nancy Pelosi. Go ahead. Yeah, so my problem with Nancy Pelosi is not that she's old or that she's a woman. It's that she's basically the embodiment of political corruption. Um, earlier you were talking about how, and she says this herself, that her main qualification for being speaker is that she raises the most money. Um, I don't see that as a positive at all, because she's not raising money like someone like Federal O'Rourke or Bernie Sanders, like in small donations. She's just taking political bribes from corporations. Um, so my pick for speaker would be somebody like Barbara Lee. Um, she's another woman, a woman of color, um, and she has just to me a lot more political courage. She was one of the only votes against, I believe, the Afghanistan or Iraq war. Um, just kind of help take the country in a different direction, a more progressive direction. Reza, thank you for your call. Let's go to Sam from Colorado. Go ahead, Sam. I guess, you know, I've been on the Pelosi thing. I've been following her as a political nerd on span before she was ever nominated speaker. And I was very impressed with her. I was glad that she assumed the speakership. But her cardinal sin in my mind is taking impeachment off the table back in the Bush administration. So, you know, with what's going on now, I think perhaps if uh, she can at least move and embrace some progressivism and, uh, you know, be open to, you know, what what might have to happen in terms of impeachment if the Mueller probe uh, uncovers impeachable offenses. And is your, your fear, because she did not push for impeachment of Bush, is that she wouldn't uh, push for impeachment of Trump? My own view is that whatever, is that given the composition of the Senate, whatever the Speaker does on impeachment won't matter nearly as much. But feel free to say your last six words. We're going to break. I would feel more comfortable with her as Speaker if she kind of uh, moved to embrace the progressive caucus more, maybe groom successors from, from that wing of the party. Understood. Sam, thanks so much for joining us. You're listening to The Tom Hartman Show. I'm Jeff Smith sitting in. With all the recent news about online security breaches, it's hard not to worry about where my data goes. Making an online purchase or simply accessing your email could put your private information at risk. You are being tracked online by social media sites, marketing companies, and your mobile and internet provider now that the Republicans have destroyed net neutrality. That's why I decided to take back my privacy by using ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN has easy-to-use apps that run seamlessly in the background of my computer, phone, and tablet. Turning on ExpressVPN protection only takes one click. ExpressVPN secures and anonymizes your internet browsing by encrypting your data and hiding your public IP address. Protecting yourself with ExpressVPN costs less than $7 a month. Protect your online activity today and find out 
about how you can get three months free at expressvpn.com slash Tom. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S VPN.com slash T-H-O-M for three months free with a one-year package. Visit expressvpn.com slash Tom to learn more. In the wake of the blue wave, or maybe after the crest, who should be, as I said, the golden surfer, who should be the Democratic leader, should Nancy Pelosi be replaced? Or is that right-wing propaganda that should be set aside? What say you? Or how should we be thinking about this? I want to hear from Kim. Kim, who is with us on Free Speech TV. Go ahead, Kim. Hi. Um, and one thing I think we have to do away with anything Republicans say regarding uh, Nancy Pelosi. Uh, she they don't get to decide. And um, I realize that. Yeah. But I think it's... Oh, no, I was agreeing with you, not trying to correct you. Forgive oh, me. Go ahead. Right. I think it's age discrimination. I think people look at her as an old woman, not as a dynamic woman. And she's the most effective speaker we have ever had. And to dump her or not elect her in the House is absurd. As somebody said previously, she knows where the bodies are. I, I think the answer to my question might be embarrassingly obvious, but do you think the same, what you say age discrimination, but also by hearing you, it sounded like it's age discrimination that applied to a woman that would be applied differently to a man? Absolutely. Yeah, I, I and aren't looked at as old when they're her age. She's looked at as old because she is her age. I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think there, I think there are, uh, here, here's the, Kim, here's the one Here's the one counter that does not that, that might not seem absurd and would welcome your sort of feedback to it. So I totally agree with you that uh, in, in everything that you said, a challenge is, is that nonetheless, and I feel the same way about Hillary Clinton, that nonetheless, she has been because of a communications apparatus uh, tarnished. It seems like there are two strategies. One stra- maybe there's more, but at least two strategies. One strategy is fight through it and say, no, we're not going to let that be the discussion culture. We're not going to let that be the media narrative. We're not that let we're not going to let that argument to win. The other argument is sort of sneaking around. We could pick another woman. We could pick a woman who was not a uh, not a young woman, but who had not yet been tarnished by the same uh, by the same apparatus. I think your choice is clear. But what am I missing in thinking about those two different strategies? That second strategy, totally absurd. I think it's totally absurd. I don't view her as tarnished in the slightest. She is effective, and that's what we need is effective politicians. This is one thing I never hear on this program. Politics is a learned skill. It's something you need experience in. You can't just walk in and say, I can do the job. You have to learn how to negotiate to give and take. Nancy Pelosi knows how to do that. Thank you so much for your call and your wisdom. Tom from San Bruno, California. Hope your family and friends and friends and family of your friends and family are well. You want to have something to say about Nancy Pelosi as well? Yes, I think they should keep. Uh, she needs to stay there. She is effective. I had the opportunity. You know, she would come to our, our, our Bug Union celebration every year. She's not been able to because she's had a really uh, tough schedule. And I had the privilege of shaking her hand and thanking her because I need the her there. I, I'm. I got my social security coming out now. I got my Medicare, and I'm all set. I don't want to lose that. And plus, I'm also served in being that I served an extra 20 years in the army and the reserve components. I get that. I got Tricare for life, and I got things really good. And one of the new congressmen that are women are coming in. 
Her name is Katie Hill, and I went down three times down in the 25th District to, to canvas for and met her. So she's one of them new uh, people that will be coming in there, and I think uh, she will probably get under Nancy's wing, and, and she means to make change. I know of all these younger, a lot of these 100 women, they want they want Trump accountable. And the uh, respective committees, the Intelligence Committee, they're fixing to – to, to put a fire under under El Presidente, and I can guarantee you, I think to keep Nancy there, she's effective. Who, she got the Affordable Care Act, you know, when the president wanted, she got it done, and she gets things done. And for if they, they were to get her tossed, that's exactly what the Republicans want. They'd be it's handing all, them a victory. They'd yeah. be handing them a victory. People got to think of that, and 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 don't believe and and, and Fox News. I wish there was some kind of way they could be sued or or, or or just put off the air, because they're not in the public interest. Let me be frank. They're not in the public interest. They're in the Koch brother interest. They're in the Adelsons, you know, the 1%. And, and the people that listen, watch them or listen to them, they're becoming zombies. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. Tom, thank you so much for listening on Talk 910 okay. in bet. California. Uh, Isaac, also about Nancy Pelosi and the speakership from Portland, Oregon, listening on X-Ray. X-Ray. Thank you for bringing me on. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just wanted to say I've been following it in The Guardian all morning, and it's my understanding that Martha Fudge, the former leader of the Black Caucus in Congress, is currently considering running for Speaker of the House. I think already is 30 Dems supporting her. Do you have an evaluation of Martha Fudge? You probably haven't worked with her, but is there... What do you think would be the advantage? What would you say to the people who say, uh, well, listen, this is just handing, this is just letting Fox News, this is just letting Koch Brothers, just letting Mitch McConnell pick who the Democratic speaker is going to be, or at least pick who it's not going to be? I mean, if anything, I think it's pushing back at them. Uh, just that photo that came out recently of the members of Congress and just looking at how the Republican side of Congress, all the new elects, literally all of them are white men, older white men primarily. And then on the Democratic side, you have this amazing diversity. Uh, so many new women coming into Congress, so many new people of color coming into Congress, and it just feels like switching up this older, primarily white leadership is like, this is the perfect time to do that. Uh, and Martha Fudge has so much good experience and has been in Congress for a very long time uh, running the, the Black Caucus. So. Isaac, thank you so much for calling us. Mary from Las Vegas, uh, we're discussing Nancy Pelosi as the soon-to-be speaker. Go ahead. we got a very quick okay. piece, very quick time. Speaker Peace. Okay, progressives are making a big mistake if they discredit Nancy Pelosi's experience. They don't have a two years. They have bills to pass, and they need to learn from her. And she's a tactician, and Trump bashes her because he's afraid of women who are strong and know what they're doing, and she knows what she's doing. Mary, thank you so much for listening. You're listening to Tom Hartman's show. Here is what I will say. I believe that it is, I believe these things simultaneously, which either makes me disingenuous or honestly trying to grapple with the problem. There is a strong argument that is absurd to throw out the leader after a successful election. And after her successful ability to navigate Obamacare through. And it is also totally understandable why people would want new energy and why we have to understand we have to transform our system of governance. If she's the politician we think she is, that her supporters think she is, she'll have the votes. If she doesn't, maybe she shouldn't be the speaker. But let's fixate not on that, not just on elected leaders, but how we build the movement. How we build power for the people 
so that politicians go to the people. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Our book today is Winners Take All, The Elite Charade of Changing the World by Anand Giridardas. This is from the prologue. All around us in America is the clank, clank, clank of the new in our companies and economy, our neighborhoods and schools, our technologies and social fabric. But these novelties have failed to translate into broadly shared progress and the betterment of our overall civilization. American scientists make the most important discoveries in medicine and genetics and publish more biomedical research than those of any other country. But the average American's health remains worse and slower improving than that appears in other rich countries. And in certain years, life expectancy actually declines. American inventors create astonishing new ways to learn, thanks to the power of video and the Internet, many of them free of charge. But the average 12th grader tests more poorly in reading today than in 1992. The country has had a culinary renaissance, as one publication put it, one farmer's market and Whole Foods at a time, but it has failed to improve the nutrition of most people, with the incidence of obesity and related conditions rising over time. The tools for becoming an entrepreneur appear to be more accessible than ever for the student who learns coding online or the Uber driver, but the share of young people who own a business has fallen by two-thirds since the 1980s. America has birthed the wildly successful online book superstore called Amazon, and another company, Google, has scanned more than 25 million books for public use, but illiteracy has remained stubbornly in place, and the fraction of Americans who read at least one work of literature a year has dropped by almost a quarter in recent decades. The government has more data at its disposal and more ways of talking and listening to citizens, but only one quarter as many people find it trustworthy as in the tempestuous 1960s. A successful society is a progress machine. It takes in the raw material innovation and produces broad human advancement. America's machine is broken. When the fruits of change have fallen on the United States in recent decades, the very fortunate have basketed almost all of them. For instance, the average pre-tax income of the top tenth of Americans has doubled since 1980. That of the top 1% has more than tripled. And that of the top 0.001% has risen more than sevenfold, even as the average pre-tax income of the bottom half of Americans has stayed almost precisely the same. These familiar figures amount to three and a half decades worth of wondrous head-spinning change with zero impact on the average pay of 117 million Americans. Meanwhile, the opportunity to get ahead has been transformed from a shared reality to a prerequisite of already being ahead. Among Americans born in 1940, those raised at the top of the middle class and the bottom of the lower middle class shared a roughly 90% chance of realizing the so-called American dream of ending up better off than their parents. Among Americans born in 1984 and maturing into adulthood today, the new reality is split screen. Those raised near the top of the income ladder now have a 70% chance of realizing the dream. Meanwhile, those close to the bottom, more in need of elevation, have a 35% chance of climbing above their parents' station. And it's not only progress and money that the fortunate monopolize. Rich American men, who tend to live longer than the average citizens of any other country, now live 15 years longer than poor American men, who endure only as long as men in Sudan and Pakistan. 
Some elites faced with this kind of gathering anger have hidden behind walls and gates on landed estates, emerging only to try to seize even greater political power to protect themselves against the mob. But in recent years, a great many fortunate people have also tried something else, something both laughable and self-serving. They've tried to help by taking ownership of the problem. All around us, the winners in our highly inequitable status quo declare themselves partisans of change. They know the problem, and they want to be part of the solution. Actually, they want to lead the search for solutions. They believe that their solutions deserve to be at the forefront of social change. They may join or support movements initiated by ordinary people looking to fix aspects of our society, but more often these elites start initiatives of their own, taking on social change as though it were just another stock in their portfolio or another corporation to restructure. Hey everybody, the book you're listening Winners to Take Hartman Show. I'm Jefferson Smith sitting in. An honor to do it after a historic election. Question was framed to me prior was, is capitalism slavery? And is this advocating for capitalism under the guise of freedom? Is that an accurate way to put it? I will offer my own view. I think the biggest political lie of the 20th century was, and I'll cite Tomas Ungvari of Hungary, uh, the, big, the biggest political lie of the 20th century was the idea that the sum of the self-interest yields the public interest. That's the, that's the big lie. Uh, a corollary or adjacent lie to that is that advocating for overweening property rights, the ability to exclude or require someone from or someone to do something, that that is the same thing as freedom. That is not freedom. It might have value, there might be benefits, but it's, the not, say, it's not the same thing as freedom. Those are the big lies. So in that respect, I totally agree. I'll go further. I have, when I've had the privilege of joining you all before, uh, and, and beyond just me, we've, we've talked about uh, Nancy McLean's uh, book, Democracy in Chains, that helps to frame the current political debate in historic political debate, historical American political debate contexts, recognizing it's really the same argument that was being had against John C. Calhoun 200 years ago, 150 years ago, that the whether democracy or property should be more important. And it goes further back than that to whether the king's land, real property, real property, whether the king's land should be more important than the will of the people. This is the big debate that America's been having. It, it's somehow been confused as being thought of as like, well, one thing's on my right hand, one thing's on my left hand. No, one thing is about property rulership, and the other is like, well, shouldn't we figure out some things together to make sure life is a little better rather than a lot worse? I totally agree with that. It's hugely critical. I also say this. Here's a simple way of thinking about it from my perspective only. Competition, good. Vast concentration of capital, bad. People starting up interesting stuff and inventing things, good. Using that to subvert democracy, bad. Riduzone. If you struggle to lose weight, listen carefully. Riduzone works. I've never before endorsed a weight loss product, but I've seen the result firsthand with my brilliant wife, Louise, who, like so many, has had her share of diet frustrations. Losing weight is hard, right? Louise heard about Riduzone. She did her homework, learned it's FDA accepted, and that it helps us lose weight in a revolutionary way. Riduzone comes out of university research that discovered a molecule that helps regulate appetite. When it's out of whack, we're always hungry and crave foods we shouldn't eat. And good luck losing weight when you're already starving on day one. 
Louise tried Ridizone. She looks amazing. And I've never, never seen her this excited about a weight loss product. Listen, when diet and exercise aren't enough and you want to lose the weight you've been struggling to lose, get non-prescription Riduzone. Go to tryriduzone.com and use the promo code TOM, T-H-O-M, to receive up to 65% off on your order and free shipping. That's tryriduzone.com, promo code TOM. For the people who support your local affiliate, like KPFK in Southern California, thank you for doing that. Whether it's commercial, whether it's a non-commercial, whether you do it by shopping for the stuff that is sold there or do it by calling in and saying nice things or sharing it with your friends or by becoming a member of your local station. I also want to just extend huge gratitude to the people who put those things together and the people who support that stuff. Because as Sarah Miller was making it clear, if we think that the future of media democracy is merely social media oligarchs, we have another think coming that ultimately we have to be the media, we have to build the media, and that means we have to build media mechanisms, not only as guerrilla warriors, and forgive the war analogy, but not only as sort of secret operatives within an oligarchic media, but actually trying to transform that media. I don't want to sound like a crackpot, but I think that's really what's going on. I want to hear from Morris at KPFK in Long Beach. I uh, hope everything in your world is going all right, Morris. Thanks for winning our most patient listener award for right now. That's because I love you all, Jeff. Jeff, you put <laughs> a book I was going to speak about. Uh, Democracy in Change, The Radical Right Stealth Plan for America by Nancy McLean. Yep. Everybody needs to read that book. If you read that book, you'll find out that democracy is basically a euphemism, not a manifestation. We are the oldest democracy in the world, but we're the least responsive democracy in the world. And the myth is that not everybody is pro-democracy. The Heritage Foundation, they don't appreciate democracy. The Ku Klux Klan, the Fraternal Order of Police, the Federalist Society, the 400 families that own 80% of the wealth in this country that control our narrative, they're not really jumping up and down for democracy. And here, let me throw some real shockwaves to you. Please, uh, Morris. To democracy, an impediment to democracy is the United States Constitution, because the United States Constitution had a pro-slavery bias. And if you want to talk about the impact of the military, I got this from a guy named, uh, he's not on your program no more, the older guy used to come on Sundays, the F-35, the F-35, that series of planes or jets or fighters that nobody wants, the amount of money that our country has invested in those series of those fighter jets we put every homeless person in our country in a mansion, not a two-bedroom, one-bedroom apartment. But that ought to give you some idea of, of who really has the influence in this country, and it's not the people. Thank you, Jeffrey. Morris, I, I have never said, and maybe that's my own failing, but I have never said everybody needs to read this book. I've never said that. Everybody's got to read Nancy McLean's Democracy in Chains. Even for we democracy nerds who've been tracking this stuff for a while, she connects some really important dots. Connecting the dot from John C. Calhoun to James Buchanan, the Virginia school to the Chicago school, understanding this is not something new under the sun, but it is, in fact, a desire to keep power in the hands of entrenched power rather than put power in the hands of human beings. Not about right, left, not about Democrats, but about democracy. Thank you, Morris. I hope you call again. Jared in Downington, Pennsylvania. Go ahead. I'm calling about gerrymandering. I have been a lifelong resident of Downingtown, Pennsylvania my whole life, and this will be the first time in my entire life we will be represented by a Democrat wow. in the 6th uh, District of Pennsylvania. Oh, no, no, it gets even crazier because I looked up the history of the uh, uh, Chester County where I live, 
And do you know the last time a Democrat represented um, uh, the Chester County in the uh, uh, House of Representatives? I'll play your game. When? 1850s. That's a long time ago. I was like, I, I hadn't even gotten into high school yet. <laughs> the 1850s, before the Civil War. And, and also by then, and what's interesting about that to me is that the political parties have vastly changed in that time, but nonetheless, the party apparatus was able to maintain control in Downingtown and in Chester County. Even Nancy Pelosi coming out and saying that the first thing they want to do is a bill for voting rights. Can't imagine the Republicans that control the Senate will want to do anything in favor of voting rights. But you've got more and more Democrats recognizing that this is a fight for democracy. What do you want to have them do? I want gerrymandering abolished for one. Yeah. They can't pass it through the Senate, of course, but there's things that states can do. I mean, there was a bunch of states that passed bills, initiatives that uh, banned gerrymandering. I believe all of them were passed, I think, even in Utah. Uh, gerrymandering seems to be the number one issue because um, if you look at Pennsylvania, we elected nine Democrats and nine Republicans. And previously, it was only it was 13 Republicans and uh, I believe it was five uh, Democrats. So that's that alone is just a complete difference between, say, a state like North Carolina, where it's, uh, I believe, 12 or 10 Republicans and three Democrats elected there, even though it's about maybe about the same vote uh, statewide. Jared, thank you so much for your call. Uh, and for the call for gerrymandering, or as my dad would say, gerrymandering, and he would admonish me to say his name was Elbridge Gary, not Elbridge Jerry. Uh, don't, don't believe the hype. He doesn't say don't believe the hype. We'll call it whatever you want for purposes of this program. What I would say, the reason I would go further than just gerrymandering or gerrymandering or addressing that is I have a mild concern that only big D Democratic constituencies, states, jurisdictions will transform their patterns and that red states won't. And that would be, and you could imagine a result that uh, didn't make a more majoritarian system of government. That's why I'm personally becoming more curious about, interested in, supportive of alternative voting systems. Rich. Let's see. Because we are looking at the trampling of rights and violation of the Constitution, I was thinking about CNN's Acosta having to stand up for what's right. I thought to ask a question of you, because you've got the law background, how would you challenge an existing law as to its violation of the Constitution? There was a term used by the retired CIA officer, Ray McGovern. He was somebody who was standing up at Gina Haspel's uh, confirmation hearings with Code Pink saying, hell no. And they uh, pulled his shoulder out of the socket to help people remember who he is. But he used the term secret law. And he said, dark world programs are defined by secret law. And so secret law is a real thing. How do you make a challenge as to prove secret law? How do you challenge the existence of this, this idea of a secret law as it's allowing for something that, that might be given deference for, well, national security? But 
the ugly truth is that you're talking about covert organs of government that are, in fact, destroying the rights and the lives of, of citizens because they've somehow become disfavored. So there are a couple ways that I would reply. One, the idea of secret law was particularly uh, noted and popularized and discussed around uh, Soviet Eastern Bloc countries and was, the United States was criticized, particularly under the Patriot Act, for having provisions of law that weren't public. And the first, this is why journalism is so important, is the first thing is to figure out what is actually being applied. I think that is a different issue in the United States. You're listening to Tom Hartman Show, and I'm Jeff, and thanks for being with us. Nancy calling from KPFK in Los Angeles around Citizens United. Does the Constitution actually have to be amended, or can there be a vote? And if there's a vote, how many, is it three-fourths or two-thirds? Because Citizens United, in my opinion, has got to go, and I just don't know what can be done. Thank you so much, Nancy, for calling in. And it sort of depends on the thing that you want to reform. There's certainly some things that Congress could do to change campaign finance rules that would still have effect under currently interpreted Supreme Court precedent. There are some challenges. One is that Supreme Court precedent can be, and I fear might be a moving target, and not moving towards small d democracy, certainly not towards anything anybody might describe as the left, but moving in the direction of Brett Kavanaugh, moving in the direction of Justice Alito, moving in the direction of, yes, the Koch brothers who have been funding stuff like the Federal Society to take over the federal judiciary. So I want to flag the moving target challenge and something I've said before, the Oliver Wendell Holmes line that uh, what a judge will do is all I mean by law. What Citizens United did was overthrow, was overturn congressional rules, overturn uh, laws that had been duly put in place. It said that the Constitution trumped campaign finance rules, even around disclosure. So for something like that, you either need a different Supreme Court to change that interpretation, not sure the next opportunities to do that. The only justice recently who has gone to the hospital is not somebody who's going to be voting with now Justice Brett Kavanaugh. It was almost hard for me to say those words for a moment. So, yeah, that would require a constitutional change. And you have folks like Larry Lessig who are advocating for the calling of the Constitutional Convention for a narrow purpose. Lots of progressive activists and strategists don't like the idea of a Constitutional Convention because they worry Fox News will have far too much influence over it. The same thing that has tarnished Nancy Pelosi and Hillary Clinton's reputations, not only their own imperfections as we are all imperfect, not only because they too much channel the existing political power that runs the country, but also just because that in a misogynist culture, that misogyny can be tapped into by propagandists to tarnish them. That that same media power, that same propaganda power could influence our ability to have a good constitutional convention. But folks like Larry Lessig, Harvard Law School professor, have advocated for a narrow purpose constitutional convention that would just focus on the systems of democracy, campaign finance reform, things like Citizens United. Thanks for the question. I'm Jefferson Smith. I've been using the Muse EEG neurofeedback headband. I'm not sure that's exactly what they call it, but the website is choosemuse.com. It's a little headband you put on, um, just sets over your ears, sort of like a pair of glasses. 
only it goes across the forehead, and it actually reads your brain waves, your EEG, and feeds it back to you through a free app on your on your smartphone into your earphones, into your into your ears as the sounds of weather. And as your brain gets more agitated, the weather gets louder. And as your brain gets calmer and more peaceful and more meditative, the weather gets softer and the waves get softer. And you start hearing little birds when you're having really cool brainwave activity that's associated with the way that good meditators do it. It's a meditation instruction tool. And meditation is such an incredible thing. It, it you know helps concentration, focus, lowers blood pressure. I've been using this for about four or five months now. And I have noticed in my daily writing, because I've, I've got a 10-book contract right now, and I'm writing so much every single day. I used to, I used to sit down to write and say, okay, I'm going to write for an hour. And half of that hour was spent with distractions. I'd think of this and think of that. And, oh, I need to check my email. Oh, I got to do that. And, and I would constantly distract myself and then eventually come back to it. Since I've started using the Muse, now when these distractions pop up, just like they do in my meditation, I've learned how to, just like in my meditation, say, oh, that's a distraction. I'll let go of that. I'll come back to that later. I'm going to get back to writing. And now, instead of getting 30 minutes worth of work done in an hour of sitting and writing, I'm getting 50 or 60 minutes of work done in an hour of sitting and writing. It's really extraordinary. The, you can learn all about it at choosemuse, M-U-S-E, choosemuse.com. And if you order Using the code TOM, T-H-O-M, you get $30 off. So check it out. It's great. Choosemuse.com. When you were a kid and you imagined finding a magic lamp and being given three wishes, what would you wish for? Well, for my brother and me, we wanted to wish for more wishes. Because three didn't seem like enough. And as we had a chance to talk about before, that is one way of understanding the anti-democracy strategy engaged by a massive political movement over the last, I don't know, between 20 and 200 plus years. That you don't just wish for tax cuts. You don't just wish for limiting a woman's right to choose. You don't just wish for making it easier to promulgate gun violence. You wish for more wishes. You wish for districts that will make it harder for democracy to limit you. You wish for unlimited secret money. You wish for making it harder for people to cast a ballot. You wish for making it so that some people aren't even listed on the list that allows them to cast a ballot. You wish for more wishes. In the wake of the last time Democrats took control of Congress, I met with a lobbyist who said the most important thing the Democrats need to do is political reform. That was not what they did. They worked on health care, which was critically important. Right now, there is another debate. In Congress, we can know what the House might do. We also know what the Senate might do. But there are also states and localities that made decision in 2018 and will make more in the coming year. Joining us right now is Hedrick Smith. He's a Pulitzer Prize winning New York Times journalist, a PBS producer, the author of several books, including Who Stole the American Dream. He joins us now with his case, 2018 as a boom year for political reform, maybe wishing for more wishes. Hedrick, thank you so much for joining us. Great to be with you, Jefferson. You're right on. 
So what have you already seen in 2018 that you think maybe not enough people are paying attention to? Well, I, don't, I think this is, this is the missing story of American politics, as far as I'm concerned, as a reporter who's been out there covering stuff for a long time. Uh, this was really a boom year for reform uh, at, at all kinds of uh, issues, at all kinds of levels, in all kinds of different states. Uh, the jackpot, of course, was gerrymander reform, which is just what you were talking about, uh, the shaping of the election. I mean, if you can rig the districts in favor of your party, then you know you're going to do well on whatever your issues are, immigration, gun control, health care, whatever, okay? But what was amazing this year, that citizens took the initiative to put gerrymander reform, that is to take the business of manipulating election maps out of the hands of the state legislature, out of the hands of the politicians who want to keep themselves in office, and put them in the hands of a much more neutral or bipartisan solution. And it happened in Ohio. It happened in Michigan. It happened in Missouri. It happened in Colorado. It happened in Utah, believe it or not, in Utah. Five states this year voted in gerrymander reform, and two other states, very significantly, Pennsylvania and Florida, already are applying, applied in this year's election, a gerrymander reform that was imposed by courts responding to citizen lawsuits or citizen reform. In Florida, there's been a switch of three seats from Republicans to Democrats. It's not just the party that matters. It's the fact that they're more competitive districts, so voters have more choice, so other candidates have more chance. Same thing happened in Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania, after the 2011 Republican gerrymander, has had, seven, uh, has had uh, 13 Republicans and five Democrats, even though the vote has been almost 50-50 even split. But this year, under court order reform in, of gerrymandering in Pennsylvania, the split was 9-9. In other words, the House delegation that was elected looks more like what the vote actually was at the polls and what the state looks like when you look at party registration and so forth. So, I mean, that's the biggest thing. But, I mean, in Florida, you had an enormous breakthrough. Uh, in this year, um, we don't know what the outcome of the Senate and the governor's races are because they're still counting them. But there was a 64 percent majority of Floridians who voted. It wasn't a close vote. I, I, the I thing that surprised me wasn't even close. It was almost two-thirds. Well, and the thing is, it was a constitutional amendment to restore the, the voting rights of 1.4 million former felons. And the felons uh, couldn't vote. I mean, they, they got two-thirds without the people that it would directly benefit being able to participate. Yeah, and what's amazing about this is we're looking at a couple of very tight races in Florida. And people are complaining, but they shouldn't be complaining. This is a good thing. If you've got tight races, it means the politics are competitive. It means every vote counts. It means the candidates have to work harder. It's not slanted one way or another. I mean, this is the way you want democracy is about competition, competition of ideas, competition of parties, competition of personalities. That's what you want. But when you throw into Florida in 2020 another million plus voters. Yeah. By the way, there's been a there's been a survey done by the Miami paper and the, the Tampa Bay paper, and they found out that about 52 percent of the people who were former felons who've served their time and not convicted of murder or sex offense, that 52% of them are Democrats, about 17, 18% are Republicans, and the rest are independents. So that could tilt the results in the future. So the reform, what you were saying before, the gateway, fixing the political system, 
has a tremendous impact on policy. And this, and this is why I, I respect and appreciate your work so much and appreciate you spending some time with us here, is that is that trying to put this stuff more front and center, it, it, it seems, it, it, in some respects, seems so obvious, right? Because, like, it for two reasons. One, the results are enormously important. And two, it's actually pretty popular. Why do you think that political reforms end up taking a back burner, or is that overstating the case? No, I think, well, I think, number one, uh, there are two reasons. One reason is the media right now is very cynical about reform. Hmm. Uh, they, they're, I, I can't, I, I've finished a one-hour documentary for MSNBC on successful reform efforts, uh, dark money exposed in California, public funding in, in, uh, in Connecticut, fighting, against, fighting for voters' rights in North Carolina, gerrymander reform in Florida, things like that. MSNBC has been sitting on that documentary for three or four months. Uh, why? Because there's sexier news. What's the sexier news? Well, Khashoggi, uh, Kavanaugh, Trump, anti-Trump, uh, Putin, you know, uh, it's personality news. That's the second reason. People are interested in personality politics. Uh, process, uh, what we're talking about, fixing our broken democracy, sounds like wonky stuff. What's, what's good is... Uh, Jefferson, what's really good is there are a whole bunch of people all around this country who are waking up to the fact that this is not wonky stuff. This is the nuts and bolts of whether or not you get the kind of health care system you want, whether or not you get the minimum wage raised, whether or not you get environment protected, whether or not you get some kind of gun safety. You can't get to where you want to go on the issue you want to get to unless the doorway is open. And what's happened is in a lot of states, the doorway is closed, half closed, three quarters closed or worse. So you got I mean, you have a slew of states that brought in automatic voter registration this year, motor voter registration. Um, You've got a a bunch of states that brought in same day registration. Uh, I just literally two minutes before we came on the air saw that Maine using rank choice voting, which means you vote for the first choice and your second choice and so forth that ranked choice voting changed the victory for the second congressional district in wow. Maine. Wow. The, the Democrat who came in second as the first choice, about five or 6,000 votes behind the Republican, got many more second choice votes and therefore won. So that political reform of the system, people in Maine saying, look, we're tired of having three candidates in the race and the independent drags off a bunch of votes and we don't know how those people would have voted. We want to include their votes. So what they said in Maine is if you don't get 50 percent, you've got to go into rank order choice. And if you got more second choice votes than the other guy then or the other woman, uh, then you win because you were the higher choice of more people. And our idea is to get the highest choice to represent the state as best as possible. You had Connecticut. Interesting. Another reform that's going on. We've had two elections since 2000 in which the national popular vote winner, Al Gore in 2000 and Hillary Clinton in 2016, lost the race. Why? Because of the Electoral College. Well, the Electoral College favors small states because they get the same number of senators as, you know, Wyoming gets the same number of senators as California. You know, less than a million people in Wyoming, more than almost 40 million people in California. Okay, so people are saying, how can we fix this? It's really hard to amend the Constitution. The idea is this compact among the states. If enough states pass laws that say we will cast our electoral votes for the national popular vote winner, regardless of the vote in our state, 
we will pick the national vote winner. If you can get states with 270 electoral votes to do that, you can actually go around the Electoral College. And, and in that case, Hillary Clinton and Al Gore would have been the winners uh, in those elections. Uh, you know, happened three times in our, in our history. So what they're doing is they're, they're voting, and they voted in Connecticut. They just passed in Connecticut. Hedrick Smith, we're going to break. Thank you so much for joining us. Admire your work. As we have said, this election wasn't just about Democrats. It was about democracy. People, you got to check out his blog, including his story about the badass grandmas. Thank you, Hedrick. And go to the people versus the politicians. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. I wanted you to tell us about the badass grandmas okay, of North Dakota. What interests me, I mean, imagine you calling yourselves from North Dakota, the badass grandmas of North Dakota. But the great thing about that story is not just the slogan. It is that these are a bunch of women. I'm looking at a picture of them now on my website, reclaimtheamericandream.org, uh, and they're sitting there with their fists up in the air and looking at you. Yeah, I'm looking at the picture now. It's ordinary, great. These are just ordinary women who said... We're tired of big money in our elections. We're tired of corruption. We're tired of foreign money coming in. We're tired of people leaving the the state government, uh, the legislature, or being governor, or being the governor's assistant, whatever, and turning around becoming lobbyists and making lots of money for special interests. So they said, we're going to drum up a reform in North Dakota. We're grandmothers grandmas and we want to fix this state and everybody said they laughed at him they said you you can't do that the pros are against it the state the republican leadership come out and said and, they, and pause for a second cleanup. pause for a second before when i'd asked the reasons you had talked about the media there is another that so much of the the political apparatus is opposed to change because they gained power under the current system and don't want to sacrifice that power anyway keep going but i want to well, make, well, capture okay. that point i've done i've done this documentary that underlines the point it's called the people versus the politicians what's happening is people like the badass grandmas in north dakota are waking up to the fact it isn't just party A or party B. It isn't just Democrats or Republicans. Politicians have a different interest from voters. They want to stay in power. Yeah. And they're going to stack the rules. They're going to stack the election districts. They're going to stack voter ID. They're going to stack all the rules to keep themselves in power. Most of the time at the moment, Republicans are doing it. But Democrats are doing it in some states, too. And people are starting to wake up to the fact, like these grandmas, that we, the people, have got to change the rules so we've got more choice. And so they put together this very sensible, common-sense reform. You know, no foreign contributions. Report all disclosure online of contributions immediately. Uh, stop the revolving door between state officials and, uh, and becoming lobbyists and so forth. They set these things out. They went out. They got, I think, 27,000 signatures to put their reform on the ballot. They put it on about the Republican leaders of the state said, we don't need reform. We don't need ethics reform. Politics in North Dakota are clean. And the grandma said, uh-uh, we don't buy that. We're pushing ahead. It cruised through to a very solid supermajority vote in North Dakota. So they've now got a clean elections law in North Dakota because a bunch of grandmas decided they want to do it. And, and, to, Michigan, me a, and to me, it's a lesson. It started from a 28-year-old graduate student. And to me, it's a lesson that for so many of the of the listeners here who are wanting to have an impact, that if you are getting that, that doing this at the ballot in places where allow you to do things on the ballot, if you're getting blocked in your legislature, this is the kind of stuff that can pass. And it's the kind of stuff you don't have to live in San Francisco or Vermont in order to pass. 
Yeah, and even if it's in the legislature, you can raise enough of a stink that that people are embarrassed. I mean, what happened in Ohio was the the people started pushing for gerrymander reform, and the legislature got so embarrassed, it got behind it. Hedrick, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you so much for your work. We really appreciate it. My brother from another mother. Great. Be well. You're listening to Tom Hartman Show. I'm Jefferson Smith. And let me just say this. We had a chance to talk about a few things. We had a chance to talk about Facebook and wanted to remind about that. that This isn't just some story about Russian intervention or about a single presidential race. This is about the future of communications, the future of media, the future of democracy, and the future of the economy. And if you're working on a primary, if you're thinking about running for office yourself, if you're thinking about who to donate to, if you're thinking about what to prioritize, fighting against economic oligarchy and communication and media oligarchy is one of the coolest things you could work on. Because not, first of all, it's popular. It's the kind of thing that has built a movement before that, yes, comes to the benefit of the marginalized in our community and get support for the supermajority of people who don't want monopolists in control of the population, don't want them in control of the economy. You get a chance to talk about economic opportunity, freedom of speech, lower prices, more competition. Shout out to Sarah Miller for joining us today. Also, lots of calls. And thank you so much for all the callers calling in on the speaker. What I want to say is, If she is a politician, her supporters, and I think she is, she's going to have the votes. If she doesn't have the votes, she's not that politician. Where I want to put the focus now, and we'll have a chance to talk about it tomorrow, is not only on the personality, but on the process. Not only on what elected officials we elect, but the processes by which we do it, the movements that we grow. How do we put power to the people so that politicians go to the people? Because that's where the power is. How do we build it so that our campaign finance system is there? That's why we thank the Act Blue folks for joining us. That's why we thank Hedrick Smith and Ari Berman for joining us. How do we build a system by which whoever is speaker isn't the someone who plays the game we want to disrupt, but we make the game so the person who wins it is playing the game that we want? Because I'll tell you, you want progressive change, it's going to take way more than a given speaker. I want to say thanks so much to all of our listeners. It is such an honor to do this. I also want to say again, for those of us who are at the end of the show who didn't join us at the beginning of the show, uh, and, and I'll just take ask for leave for this. Uh, my own, uh, our own mom in, in my family, my stepmom, Meredith Wood Smith, passed away two weeks ago in between the last time I was with you. She was the, uh, she was for six years the Democratic Party chair in Oregon. She came to our state after having been to Woodstock as, a, as an anti war activist. She was 16 years old when the Vietnam War started. And it reminds me, and, and, and I think in terms of wisdom, and yes, and, and also white women, recognizing that white women aren't the whole story, but I want to give some love to that white woman and some love to the people who have lived for decades in the movement, who didn't go away, who stayed radical, who helped build the arc of history towards justice. You are the coalition of the benevolently irrational, the good people doing good things for no good reason. Without you, democracy doesn't have that much of a chance. With you, we got a chance. You are priceless. Definition of priceless, worth a lot, not for sale. Thanks, everybody. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.